0: This is Catalog and Cocktails. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Here's your hosts, Juan Cicada and Tim Gasper. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails. This is your weekly live hangout that's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World. And joined by co-host Juan.
1: I'm Juan Cicada, the principal scientist of Data.World, and always a pleasure to take that break, middle of the week, uh, here live, uh, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central. How are you doing, Tim?
0: I am doing great. It's been a long week, and there's more week to go, but you know I love breaking it up with some catalog talk, some data talk, and some tasty beverages. So and, good to see and, you,
1: Juan. And today is going to be a very geeky, uh, cool discussion, because I think we're going to get even a little bit... Uh, start combining the enterprise world of data but also with a little bit of philosophy in a way and I'm so excited with our guest uh professor Deborah McGuinness. Deborah how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great and I'm really thrilled to be here chatting with you. Oh,
1: well we're 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 so excited before we dive in just a couple of uh of, of reminders uh please give us your review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify like rate subscribe all that stuff you do uh and before we dive in um let's Toast? What are we drinking? What are we toasting for? Deborah, please, what are you having? Tell, tell us.
2: I'm having a Fox and Pinot Noir. Uh, people may know me for the Semantic Sommelier. I'm famous for a wines and food pairing ontology, so it just makes sense for me to have a uh, wine. And Pinot, I find to be one of the more flexible wines out there.
0: Nice. I love semantic sommelier That's that's great.
1: <laughs> well we'll we'll get into some of the Deborah's uh very very big history here, but how about you, Tim? What are you up to? What are you drinking?
0: I am drinking some old Forester 1897 here, uh bottled in Bond, uh excellent whiskey. Didn't have time to make a full cocktail here, so we're going the uh, the quick and easy route.
1: Well, I'm doing kind of an old fashioned but with uh, mezcal. And I actually just finished it. And I don't know if you can, see people who are on camera, you can actually see right there the gusanos. Ooh. The worms are in there, but With the worm anyway, going Anyway, so out. let's, what, what are we, quickly, let's toast for something. I, I what are you, to, what are we should, what should we toast for?
2: Well, I got my th- second shot. Well, Ooh. Congrats. I, my excited. thing is
0: actually vaccine related, too. I, I, I'm excited that March 29th, Texas is opening up vaccines to all adults in Texas. So I'm like,
2: wow. Yeah, all right.
1: Awesome. So let's, <laughs> Let's cheers for 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 vaccines. So cheers. Cheers. So we we got our warm up question here, which is uh which fictional character has the best origin story? And we were chatting beforehand. Uh, Deborah, I think she had a good quick story here.
2: Yeah. So I popped in last week. So last week was St Patrick's Day, and McGinnis, not surprisingly, is kind of Irish. Um. So and you were talking about St Patrick. You know, and there's a story about him driving the the snakes out of Ireland. Um, and, you know, part of that is maybe Ireland, the island never had any snakes anyway, so it didn't have a very big job. But the one that I found on Wikipedia was, this is the result of hundreds of years of over exaggeration of Irish gift of the gab.
1: So talk about where do these stories come from, the providence. I think this is a great segue a great to that. I Tim, do you have any good answer for this one?
0: <laughs> I, I don't know. I was thinking about this question, and all I could think about is that me and the kids, we've been watching uh, Marvel movies lately. And I was just thinking about, like, I like the Captain America story where, you know, he's like – Defending our freedoms, and then he gets frozen in the ice, and then he comes back and joins S.H.I.E.L.D., and uh, I don't know. That's, that's kind of my, uh, my uh, comic, burden, uh, comic book nerdy side coming out here.
1: <laughs> well, post in the chat, tell us where you're coming from, uh, what are you drinking, uh, what are you toasting for, and which fictional character has the best origin story. So with that, let's, let's kick it off, and let's talk about provenance. And what, I, what I'm truly excited about this is that um, in the enterprise world, right, in the industry, we, we were talking a lot about data lineage. Right, this is one of those big hot topics uh, that everybody wants data lineage. And this is, if not just directly, or, or I think it's just another word for provenance. And I think this is why I, I want to have this conversation here. So before we go in, again, I know Deborah, for folks who don't know Deborah, Deborah is a well-renowned AI scientist, comes back from, I think, early 90s or late 80s, uh, doing a lot of the early work on, on knowledge representation on, on expert systems. And one of the big contributions she's had is in the world of providence. And I think that's why I'm really excited to have this conversation with Deborah. So Deborah, before we go into a little bit of your history and stuff, honest, no BS, what is providence? What's your honest, no BS answer to what is providence?
2: So, you know, if you go to Wikipedia, it says that it comes from the French provenir to come from forth. So where did something come from? I usually just think of it as who, what, when, where, why, you know, and not just one of those, all of those. That's an
1: actually... That's a straightforward, honest, no BS answer. I, I, I was expecting a little bit more going off, but I like that. That's very direct. So you have a lot of great stories about Providence, how you got into this. We were, we, we've chatted before about, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're a computer scientist, you're a professor, right? You're, you're, you need to go get funny. And then people were telling you, well, you're not going to get funny if you don't tell us where all this stuff comes from. So I, can you kick us off with kind of your story about how you got into Providence and why this is a big deal?
2: Yeah, so I got into Providence, I had just recently gone to Stanford from Bell Labs and in Bell Labs, I was much more theoretical. Um, But at Stanford, I took over a couple of multimillion dollar uh, defense advanced research projects agency funded, so DARPA funded projects. And I had these big knowledge representation systems that answered all these sophisticated questions. And I was working in the high performance knowledge base program from DARPA. This was 20 some years ago. And a number of my sponsors um, said, I don't care how good your reasoners are. I don't care how good your knowledge representation is. If you can't tell me where the data came from, what you did to it, how you got the answer and why I should believe it and and other things like who else might believe it and, you know, who uh, authorized that data, then basically you're not going to get your funding. So um, right there, I changed from a representation and reasoning researcher to a provenance researcher. And I started work on inference web, which was a system that tried to tell you where conclusions came from. Um, And, you know, it served me well. So that started 20 some years ago. uh, And that started my work on the proof markup language. On representation and reasoning environments that would expose, maintain, and expose the provenance.
0: Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And and kind of what what has your your research been mostly focused on around around provenance and and in general, why should folks kind of be thinking about provenance? Why should they really be caring a lot about provenance?
2: Well, there's plenty of reasons to care about provenance. You know, so like one, if you want somebody to depend on your answers to some questions you better be prepared to tell them why they should believe it and what you relied on. So, you know, part of it is you might have the same situation that I was in that you're not gonna get your funding unless you can tell them essentially where an answer came from. But also I ran with my partner at RPI, Jim Hendler, we ran this uh, log D, linked open government data. So we ran this big portal of all this open government data and we did that actually to help the government stand up their open data portal. Um, but Jim and I would be getting emails from people saying, my email is on your site, you need to take it off or I'm gonna take legal action. And we're like, well, we can take it off today, but look, I'm just pulling this feed from someplace else. So here's where I'm getting my information from. So, you know, you can complain to me all you want, but if you don't solve the root cause of this, this is not gonna change. So it's also being able to trace back and, you know, we, we kind of did it to cover ourselves um, and and many people actually get into provenance um, to support audit trails uh, for legal reasons, uh, as well as to maintain your funding,
0: as yeah, well as kinda, because it's it fun. It's <laughs> kind of the iceberg effect, right? Like a lot of times with information, you see what's above the water and there's all this stuff that's happening underneath that you can't always you can't always tell what's going on right or or to use a different analogy, the sort of upstream downstream right a lot of times we as consumers or you know whether it's compliance or other types of use cases we see what's downstream. But then you wonder where did this come from, how do I deal with this and you know lineage I know is another word that a lot of folks use to represent a lot of this as well.
1: So. So one of the things that I'm, uh, oh by the so way, quick parentheses here is that if, if you just noticed Deborah and, and, and her team were one of the pioneers for putting government data online. I think the whole data.gov initiative is is really a, a lot of the work that Deborah and the folks at RPI have done. So, uh, I mean, that's a big movement uh, almost over a decade ago. So, uh, but one of the things I really like that, that you've been working on and. And and that it's a bit of annoying that people don't know about this, is the entire PROV standard. The W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium, has this standard called PROV for representing provenance. And one of the things that I like about PROV, and and if if you haven't heard about it, just Google for W3C PROV, go find the Wikipedia page or the W3C standard page for it, is that it's such a powerful, but also simple model to go represent Providence. It's based on an entity, uh, an activity that occurs, and, and, and the agents that are involved around that activity. Um, can, can you provide a little bit more kind of context and more details about how uh, how Prov uh, how it happened and and how it's being used right now? And, cause that that'd be great.
2: Sure. So. A number of us uh, came together and said, you know, provenance, its time has come. (laughs) And so we had an interest group, initially at W3C, where we checked for industry and academic and government interest in a topic, in this case, provenance. And our job in that interest group was to gather a lot of use cases for why somebody thought they needed provenance and then also to gather starting points. So for example, I came in with uh, inference web and PML, the proof markup language. And a lot of people came in with a lot of other starting points for representations of provenance. So we had all these use cases, we prioritized them. um, And then we had also starting points to see, you don't wanna be designing from by committee from day one. You usually wanna look at uh, what other people have done. And then the provenance working group, came together after the interest group showed that there was a lot of interest. Um, And then we came up with, you know, essentially a rather small vocabulary of terms that people could use when they're doing provenance on the web. So it went through the standard W3C World Wide Web Consortium uh, process for having three reference implementations um, and having, which means that at least three independent groups implemented it. Um, and also signed on that they would abide by it and support it. And as Juan pointed out, there's really only three main areas in it. So there's entities, agents, and activities. And then there's relationships between those, like was attributed to or acted on behalf of or was associated with. And I have to say, let's see, this guy became a standard. I'm just looking at the document. Okay, so it became a recommendation in 2013. Uh, although I don't really remember exactly when the working the interest group started. It might have started as much as seven years before that, but I'm not sure of the exact dates. Um, so it's it's quite powerful, and I've used it in a giant range of applications from um, linked open government data to health data to environmental data um, to some social science data you know, all for maintaining providence. And what I try to do is do it from day one. So don't just represent the content uh, and then later say, oh, I need to annotate where it came from. Um, But from day one, from every piece of data that I'm putting in there, I represent it in prof.
1: So I think I want to dive into this. It's, It's really simple and that's a part of it. So you have entities, activities, and agents, right? And then technically anything we think about within data or, or, or not even just data, like we were talking right now earlier, Deborah, about like art, right? This is the providence is a, it comes a lot from the area of art. Like, well, there is this painting it, this person painted this thing on this date and ended on this date. then somebody sold that and so forth, right? These are the types of activities that can happen around that. And and if we, so I think I'm actually looking up here on the Wikipedia page, they say entity captures a thing in the world Right? an entity was derived from some other entity through some activity and there's an agent. It could be a person, it could be a software execution, whatever, which is associated with that activity. And as simple as that is, like with you have these types of relationships was, was generated by, was derived by, was attributed, started at, ended at. With this very simple model, we can go represent, a, represent where things come from. And this is super important from defining where things come into art and in the world or where our data comes from and how they're being transformed through pipelines and so
0: forth. Yeah. There's incredible flexibility here. Right.
2: Right. And it's also quite extensible. So it tries to be domain agnostic. So not being aware of whether it's going to be used for art or whether it's going to be used. Actually, I, I looked at the Wikipedia page or not being aware of wine um, history. I, I didn't know the, uh, the level of, that uh, provenance that people have really looked at for wine. Uh, you know, like where the grapes come from, there's a big debate about where Zinfandel really comes from, whether it's really the only US varietal or not. Um, but Pravo, or at Pravo, is the ontology that encodes uh, the, the terms in the W3C recommended standard for provenance. Um, and I use it in pretty much all my projects, and sometimes I extend it heavily for particular domain areas where I need to know um, something very particular about, you know, the ship date, what it it means to have a ship date and and whether that means when it got to uh, the loading dock or when something got in a box or when something got ordered, you know, I I might add some additional domain specificity. And for example, I did some consulting to a museum group in New York City Um, And they have a lot of specificity, like who was the original artist and who was their teacher and what kind of material was it painted on and was it painted over, you know, those are specific to the domain. Um, But this provides you a starting point where you don't have to design from scratch.
0: Yeah, and and I love that, you know, as we think about the data world right and we think about, you know, governance in sort of the, the data and analytics sphere. The sort of the broad applicability there as well, when you think of, you know, uh, there's an entity like a a, a term, a a, a piece of terminology in an organization, and then somebody made an edit to that, right. And so the the activity is the edit, the entity is the term and the agent is the person who did it right and, and being able to have timestamps associated with that and the relationships defined and, and when you have all of these different these different lines together, then you can chain it together to get a really detailed view of, of how everything interconnects, right? That's sort of the, the beauty of how this folds into the graph. Right, um, and it
2: might be simple like that. You know, yeah. like you could think about the Wikipedia edit trail um, and it's really just, you know, who did the edits and when they did it and whoever wrote it. Um, and I don't think they go to the sophistication of whether something's a negation of something else, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but then it can get much more complicated. Uh, yeah. So, like, I I used to run this lab at Stanford that was started originally by Ed Feigenbaum, um, and he was really interested in trying to create um, an impact graph of all of the impact that he had on artificial intelligence and computer science. So it wasn't just who his students were, it wasn't just who worked with him or who co-authored papers with him. It was also the ideas in the paper and how they ended up percolating throughout. So you know it can be get quite sophisticated.
0: Yeah, it doesn't just have to be, especially in the data in the data world. Sometimes people just think of provenance as like, oh, well this table was used for this dashboard or something like that. But it can be more conceptual as well. Like somebody was viewing it, and then the person who viewed it then passed that idea along to somebody else. And provenance can take many shapes and forms. Um, are, are there different types of provenance? Like, do you, do you categorize them into certain types of, of categories or, or anything that, that adds a different, uh, a, an additional sort of metal layer on top of it?
2: You know, I, I always, um, I don't have that many soap boxes that I stand on, but one of the soap boxes that I do stand on is use cases. So, you know, what are you trying to do? Um, what questions are you trying to answer? Um, what's hard about that? So, uh, and to figure out what kinds of relationships I want to capture in the provenance, I try to figure out what I at least initially i am going to try to do with it. So, for example, if I'm going to do a meta-analysis trying to put together data sets, I better understand the vocabulary and where it came from. But I also do need to understand how you cleaned that data and what kind of assumptions are hidden in that data. And um, either some annotation of the bias, or enough information to let me figure out what bias is in there. Um, so it really depends what I'm doing with it for the, the granularity and the, um, the primitives. You know, I think about uh, what kind of information I want to keep, and I'm calling that a primitive. You know, whether it's just a timestamp or it's more sophisticated. So I have this other project called Semantalytics, where I work with a bunch of data analysts trying to understand the workflow that they're doing before they do the data analysis. And then the semantics annotates kind of everything, the data, the manipulations, the assumptions, um, the trust level, uh, and how you got that trust level.
1: Mm-hmm. So T- Tim, a lot of the things that we've discussed before is where, when providence and lineage comes in, is like, I want to have the the impact analysis, right? So I want to make sure I track the providence, the lineage of where uh, the, this table shows up or everywhere because I'm going to make a change to it. I want to see how that's impact things going downstream or upstream or whatever direction we're thinking about. But then also I want to be able to from like the aspect of trust. Like I want to know, I, I'm looking at this piece of data or this dashboard or this report. I want to know where this comes from. These are the types of usage or kind of applications or use cases that we see of, of providence and lineage within, the, within kind of enter, in the enterprise world. What is is that it? Is that is that what else are we is there, is there, are we missing something else is there other opportunities or is that really just it? I've always wondered because we always talk about those two use cases. And I wonder, Deborah, if you're, if, if there's anything you think that the, the, the industry, the enterprise should be looking at uh, more on provenance.
0: It sounds like maybe your comment, Deborah, about predicates or about the types of relationships maybe is the key there, because I, I think when we think impact analysis or we think, you know, upstream lineage, we're only thinking of, like, kind of one category like of relationships, derived. right?
1: It's derived, right? This thing was derived, and that's, like, the only relationship you care to care about. But maybe there are more specific relationships, which is, uh, you know, we get into the ontological side, right? So other properties that are sub-properties of derived from, but they're more specific or, or you know, maybe
0: main- policies, for example, applies to and things like that, right?
2: Right. So one of my other projects is uh, trying to help um, with the dynamic spectrum allocation. So can I broadcast after I bought uh, particular wavelengths? And these policies are local, federal, international. Um, Sometimes military gets in there and says there's an emergency going on, so I'm overriding everything. So you need to know what policy what policy book I'm dependent on and whether there's some um, unusual circumstance going on. So it can be quite extensive. You know, when one asks, are there other use cases? Um, I can, with after this, I can come up with the document of the use cases that we used for Pravo or for Prav. You know, right and right. that was quite a while ago. And, you know, and those are also just scratching the surface.
0: That would be awesome. We'd love to pass that on to our listeners here to to check out. Yeah. You know, oh, go ahead, Juan. Yeah.
1: No, well, I, I want to. Um, one of the other aspects that we talk about when we talk about lineage and providence is how much of the nitty gritty details we want to go into, right? And I think it also depends on what we're talking before, like who's going to consume this? What are the questions we need to go into? Like, but how, is it enough to go say from a data perspective, it comes from this table or we need to go into the column or like more specificity. So I, I think, I guess, I'm assuming that the the, the trade-off or how much more going you go depends on the consumers, but I don't know if there are any other thoughts that you have. Yeah,
0: there. is this about consumer user experience? Like, tell me your use case and who are you and what you're doing?
2: Yeah, so I, the granularity that I want to keep. So today, You know, my starting point is space is not free, but relatively cheap and processing power is also relatively cheap. So it's rare that you really are keeping too much. So my starting point is keep a fair amount and then be a little bit smart with how you use it and what you're going to throw away. but sometimes you really need a lot of granularity like another one of my projects is on environmental exposure and child health and human health and so there's all these lab tests Um, and there's a lot of detail in the operating procedures of how a lab takes their measurements and how they calibrated a particular machine and how recently it was calibrated and when it was cleaned and you know what kind of style they're using and sometimes it gets very detailed before someone knows whether they can really depend on it or not and sometimes these are life and death decisions you know if you're trying to figure out what kind of intervention to do to somebody who's really sick
0: you know it i, I love your comment about compute and storage and actually this You know, I I come from a little bit of an operational background as well. And I think often about like things like the logs, right? Like when things are happening with your different systems and your different software, you know, there's this operational philosophy. It's like log everything, right? You should log it. And then if you need that information, it's there. It seems like maybe a similar guiding principle really does apply to things like provenance, like that information is helpful. And in in fact, maybe sometimes provenance actually comes from the logs.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, and also... You want to try to get as much automatically as you can, because you want to minimize forcing a poor human to do annotation, unless you know you can really show value in it. So yeah, a lot quantity of that can quality. get pretty
0: overwhelming pretty quick, right? Yeah.
2: But then don't just dump a log on somebody. You know, have some nice, at least some kind of faceted search, um, and hopefully some even smarter interface, so that you can use those logs effectively.
1: We, we got a good question here from, from Tom on the chat. It says, let's talk more about persisting providence data outside of logs. Um, you, you, I got some thoughts about this, but I'd like to, Deborah, what do, you, what, what do you think?
2: Yeah, so, you know, the good, I mean, well, I guess maybe a potentially somewhat dirty little secret is often your providence can be much bigger than your basic data. So you do have to think a little bit about How much you're going to keep and how long you're going to keep it and um, whether you're going to like put it in an inconvenient place like secondary storage that's just slower to get to. But but you could get to it if you really needed to or you're really going to dump it. Um, And actually, my second to last thesis student, he did a thesis on figuring out what to forget. Um, And it wasn't just a first in first out kind of thing. Um, You know, it was like, how important is it? How likely is it that I'm going to use it? So it really took some analysis of the domain to figure out um, what I was going to permanently forget or what I was going to kind of put it in an inconvenient place, but not completely make it inaccessible.
1: Yeah, and and my my take on this is that Pro, I mean, if you actually use these the, these standards of pro from the W3C, right, you can represent this all in 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 RDF, right, in the in the semantic web, the graph knowledge graph format. So you are technically storing all your provenance data in a graph, in a knowledge graph, and you can go store it in a graph database, in any RDF graph database, and go query that. So I think that's that, that's the ideal way of of being able to go persist all these things. Um, now going back to kind of uh, there's like this whole issue about how much do we want to go store Providence? I love what you said, like how, can we forget about stuff? okay, we store all this stuff, but we don't need it, right? We can forget about it. What is the process? like how do we how do we get started on how do we know that we should start uh, getting Providence involved? Should we like start doing everything and then for, and then forget about things or should we start small and then add things like how do we avoid my favorite phrase is uh, boiling the ocean here? Because, as you said, like we can we can keep track of everything.
0: You can build a Providence Ocean, right?
2: Yes, I and I had built Providence oceans. but you know it really all comes down to use cases. So what do you think you're gonna use today? What do you think your friends might use tomorrow? And then think some about your unanticipated reuse? Um, which, you know, it's kind of hard, but, you know, spend a little bit of time thinking about um, either your reuse 10 years down the line, so, you know, you've kind of forgotten a lot of the details, or more importantly, other people's potential reuse that might come from a different perspective. So, you know, don't underestimate, don't don't short um, the design and requirements gathering phase, because Mm -hmm. it is... It's it can be painful to design enormous schemas, not for me, because I love doing that, um, but it can be expensive to design enormous schemas and figure out how you're going to maintain, uh, how you're going to collect all of that and maintain it. And especially if you're going to make a human do some of the annotation, you better really make sure you have a value proposition for them or else it's not going to go.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a, a ton of sense and is 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 really important advice. You know, one more question on my side for you, Deborah, is who should really be caring about provenance in companies, in organizations? Is this a governance people concern? Is it an architecture concern? Is it those lucky few organizations, but a growing number, that have ontologists on staff? Like, who should be caring about uh, about provenance, and how can you do a better job of caring about it?
2: You know, in reality. Everybody should care about it. I mean, your lawyer actually really wants you to care about it because the lawyer is is going to be coming back to you when you've got some problem. And mm-hmm. then this is your defense. So your legal place, your CIO's office, definitely, um, because they're also going to have to maintain it. And maybe you've got some HIPAA kind of requirements, some privacy kinds of requirements. So, you know, you definitely want your IT CIO kind of people to care about it. You you if you're lucky enough to have the ontologist, you really want somebody who knows how to design a, a schema. Um, and so, and you also want it to be seamless, you know, because my data is your metadata, and your metadata is Juan's data. So, you know, it it really needs to be thought through in terms of the representational schema. So, um, yeah, it's it has be to be
0: architected, right? It can't be a single person's concern. It's a, it's something that affects everyone. Well,
1: yeah. you want this to be architected, right? Because from the beginning, otherwise, you're going to end up saying, well, there is this uh, black box that does things to the, has an input and an output and this black box does something to it, right? So I can say that this black box does uh, have, did something to it I, that's my that's my current But i need to get more granular into it and when you open up that block box it's like oh here's a bunch of code that somebody wrote that i don't know what they did and they're doing all these transformations and now it's like well we want to automatically have systems that can i don't know reverse engineer code that can go tell and then have all that annotated as providence of like I mean, I don't know. I think people who say they can do that, I'm, I'm so skeptical. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that, that, that that's an intractable problem to go reverse engineer some existing code to go say what what happened here and go represent that in provenance. So I think you're really going to need to start thinking about this kind of from the ground up. Otherwise, you're just going to be later on trying to figure out some spaghetti code um, to and again and people have to go do that right people are migrating from different sort from from legacy applications going into the cloud and they're like well i don't know what's in here and i don't know how this was done and like but yeah what do we do like can we automate this or, or this is just go manually and go reverse engineer code and then write the providence about it so we now later know what happened this is the stuff we see all the time and 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 um I, I don't I, I it's like I guess another
0: it's, form of debt. It's like
1: Providence debt. debt. It, there we go. It's Providence debt. I think it is. Yeah. Well, we can keep chatting over this. And I told you, there were 30 minutes fly by so quickly. But let, let, let's 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 do some takeaways here, Tim. Take, take it away with your takeaways.
0: Yeah, sure. I'll take away some takeaways with my takeaways. Um, so. Uh, you know, first of all, I loved your definition of provenance and keeping it, you know, short and sweet. It's the who, what, when, where, and why, right? And and, and, and the simple ways to represent that. What's
1: altogether. that? And it's all together, not just one of them. It's all yeah. together. Yeah.
0: You want you want all of that, right? It's the context, right? And we all know that context is 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 critical, right? Um. And then I, I I really appreciated your comment that you know, compute and storage are cheap, so really you can you can and should store a lot of provenance. It can come from a lot of places. But at the same time, you have to be thoughtful. You need to architect it. And I liked your comment that, you know, domain knowledge helps you understand what the right thoughtful approach is. Like what what can what can stay hot? What should be warm? What can be cold? So you can be smart about it.
1: My you, take, one. Yeah. So one thing that I want to translate for kind of the enterprise industry world here is that we think about providence or we, the way we apply properties is more on data lineage, and the focus is this thing was derived from this other thing. So all of data lineage just focuses on that specific property of derived from. And I think there's an opportunity to be more expansive on that, right? And I think that's the uh, th- that's a takeaway here is that, yes, we start from this this table was derived from this other table, but we can be more specific about it. And we should be more specific about these ty- these types of, of of lineages. And I think that's an important thing. But again, how do we avoid boiling the ocean? Not surprising. Use cases, use cases, use cases. And really understand the people. Who is actually going to consume this? And who do you predict will consume this tomorrow? So you can start gathering more. And then later on, you realize, OK, maybe I didn't need it. We can go change. But again, critical on that. Deborah, to wrap up, we always do these two final questions. So no question number one is, what's your advice? Very open, broad question. And second, who should we invite? Or, or from what category or what topic?
2: So on um, parting advice, you know, think about designing for longevity. Um, And, you know, one example, I mentioned this semantic sommelier. So I did this uh, wine and food pairing uh, program in the 80s in university, um, and it still lives on today. This wines ontology that I did in the 80s um, lives on today that I would have never anticipated. Um, and so, you know, I didn't put provenance in it then, but it would have been nice had I done that. Uh, It was in my head. Um, so designing for longevity from a provenance perspective and from a design perspective, because, you know, success like that can happen. (laughs) And, and actually I, I take that, I look back on the design principles that I put into the things that lasted for decades. And it's usually simplicity. And it's usually uh, extensibility and modularity and, um, and thoughtful design from day one.
1: I, I love this.
2: And okay. final, and, and who should we invite next? Yeah, you know, that could be a lot of different things. You know, I was thinking about the name of this cataloging cocktails. I mean, I have a lot of wine and food friends, so I can give you a lot of cocktail people. Um, <laughs> But uh, but like catalog people, I was thinking about Natasha Noy and you know, Google uh, data kind of catalogs. Um, and I was also thinking about things that are going like a little wild right now. So language models, you know, it's not my area, but I work with a ton of language models. Um, you know, people who are like looking at the limits of language models, Uh, like Dave Ferrucci, for example, he gave a nice talk at uh, something I was at recently, who's got elemental cognition, and he's trying to do language models, but some context too. Um, And also, another thing that I'm spending a lot of time in, and I think is gaining traction, is common sense integrated into the world. So, um, you know, kind of leaders in common sense, like Wei-Jing Choi. Uh, at UW and Allen Institute, Um, you know, because knowledge graphs, I I mean, I live and breathe knowledge graphs. I love them with tremendous passion, but we don't just hand design them and we don't just uh, suck them in from structured data. You know, I, I call myself Dr. Hybrid. So I'm thinking about hybrid angles.
1: Well, thank you so much for that. We'll definitely be following up with uh, everybody who's, uh, who just listed.
0: Those uh, are great suggestions.
1: I know. That, I love it. because it's completely out of the box, completely, something that we would not be thinking about. Deborah, thank you so much for your time. We truly appreciate it. And, and, and this was a very exciting conversation. I think it's all, an opportunity for, for folks on, on in, the, in the real, quote, unquote, the real world industry uh, enterprise to start thinking about lineage and, and providence in a different, broader way. Debra, thank you. Cheers.
0: Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Debra. Dr. Hybrid, we appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks.
2: I had fun.